Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. Um, and the filmmakers, the masters of taste, smell, touch, sight, and sound. Thanks. Thanks, Catherine. Um, first, I just want to quickly introduce the five filmmakers so you know which of the films they each made. Ian Cheney from Maine made Touch. Terrence Nance from New York City made Sound. Drew Crispy, Christy from... Or Crispy. Crispy. Christy from Whidbey Island just outside of Seattle made Smell. Martha Stevens from Olympia, Washington made Sight. And Clea Duvall from Los Angeles made Taste. Um, just to give you, before we dive into questions, I'll ask a few questions to get us started off and then open it up to you guys to ask questions. But to give you a little context, uh, these films came out of a partnership between Sundance TV and Visit Seattle uh, in which they wanted to make five distinctive films by five different filmmakers, each exploring Seattle through one of the five senses. And that was the mandate, that was the brief. And beyond that, they encouraged a tremendous amount of creativity and encouraged each of the filmmakers to explore and celebrate Seattle through their own, own lens. Um, so, since we're dealing with senses, let's start with um, talking to each filmmaker about why the particular sense that they chose um, was a way in which they wanted to explore a place, and particularly Seattle, um, and if inside of that question, you can also talk about what your previous relationship to Seattle had been. That would be helpful. Um, and when we started this, the, the one sense that I was most afraid of and thought nobody's going to want to do uh, was smell. And within the first two minutes of my first conversation with Drew, he said very loud and clear, smell was the one he wanted to do. Only one. <laughs> so I thought, let's start with Drew. Uh, yeah, I, I thought... Um when he told me this, and he told me there was all the senses, I started trying to think of what all the senses were in my head. And when I, I thought visual, visual, I won't, no. Uh, I thought uh, taste, no way, because food looks great when you're looking at photos and video of food, but not when you're looking at drawings of food. It just never does it. Um, and I just thought smell would be challenging. I would like to do that, and I feel like, I don't know, it just felt like uh, 
it would be the hardest one, so I don't want to do it. Why don't we go all the way down to the end to Ian and touch? Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having us and for watching our films. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm always touching trees. Um, <laughs> and uh, Tim and I were batting around some titles, and we thought touching wood would give people the wrong <laughs> impressions. But um, we, uh, and my experiences in the Northwest, uh, as limited as they are, have always been, whether urban or, or rural, have always had a lot to do with trees walking in the woods. And uh, I like the idea of trying to um, show the kind of seamlessness between the, the forest and the city in a place like Seattle, which is really studded through with parks and the, the trees are enormous and majestic and strange. And, um, and there's so many people in the city who, uh, and in the Northwest who work with, um, who work with wood. So, uh, so that became the, the whole impetus for the, for the piece. Uh, for mine, I didn't have a particular sense in mind, but when you know you kind of emailed, I was like, Seattle, I don't know anything about Seattle except for Nirvana and Rain. And I just, I think I just read the Wikipedia entry for Seattle. <laughs> and um, I think it mentioned that Jimi Hendrix was from Seattle. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. So I, I started, to, you know, kind of a, a Google rabbit hole around that. And decided that maybe I should do something around him that was unauthorized and um, suggested how, he, you know, how that space might have birthed him. So I think he just, the, the project just lended itself most to sound because of the subject. Well, I came in late to the game. I replaced someone else. So I was given my sense and um, Oh, I'm just being honest. An honest person. <laughs> so anyway, I guess I was happy, though, because I'm a really visual person. And um, I had just recently moved to the Pacific Northwest, um, which was a coincidence. And I honestly, like, moving from where I, I was in Appalachia for, like, the last five years and um, being able to move to the Pacific Northwest was such, like, a release. And it was so... Felt, um, I felt relieved and also I, I think I used that kind of in the story with him finding, sort of finding peace at the end there in Seattle. So it sort of mirrors my experience of finding peace finally living there instead of where I was. So. Um, I, I came to mine, I, I sent Tim a few ideas based on um, several different senses, which he responded like, oh, those are nice, they're good, but, um, and I was having a really hard time coming up with an idea that felt really organic because I, I am from Los Angeles and I know it like the back of my hand and I felt like if I was going to do something based on Seattle, I wanted it to feel um, really authentic and very specific to Seattle. And um, I ended up, and I had a conversation with Tim and he was like, well, just give me something by Monday. And I was going to this, uh, my partner and I were going to a wedding in Montana and I put it out of my mind and I was like, something will, I'll think of something and I'm going to find something great and I'm not going to worry about it. And the first night I was at the wedding, there's this guy gave up and gave a speech about the couple who was getting married and how he met them in Seattle because he lived there. And then I made up my mission to corner this guy and just ask him as many questions about Seattle as I could. <laughs> 
and find, and I sat and had a conversation with him and kind of told him what I was thinking and what I wanted and the taste and taste was the one that I really was connecting with the most and then he told me about his friend Kurt who owns this farm which you saw in the beginning and then for me the story just kind of um, came organically after that. Um, okay, so you, that answered kind of the second question which I was going to ask, which is sort of about how these ideas sort of came from your site, how you developed the ideas, how they came to fruition. And Terrence, you, you, so now I see where this came from because you just sent me, the first thing you sent me was Jimmy Could Have Fallen From The Sky, that's the film. And <laughs> I was like, all right, this sounds great, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. And Sundance Visit Seattle were, were uh, bold enough to also go with that. But so... Um, beyond Wikipedia, where, how did you take that notion of Jimmy falling from the sky and, um, and dig deeper and come up with the sort of bones of the film and, and root it in Seattle? Well, I mean, I think I was trying to um, create something that gets to the interiority of like what a mysterious creative process is like and how that could be gestated in the place you're from and like you know, what the light is like in your grandmother's house or things like that that are very um, biographical. And I think also when you're a child, you know, your autobiography, your autobiography at that point is a little more slippery and uncertain and like could be stuff that happened or didn't really happen or, you know, things like that. So I wanted to kind of incorporate that um, perspective on uh, a the childhood of a master, you know? Um, and I think that, like, there's a mystique around him specifically because he didn't stay around long enough to explain himself to everyone in a certain way. So we're, which I think that it, it makes fertile ground for a lot of mishandling of who he might have been, but then it also maybe makes fertile ground for something like this that hopefully is not mishandling. I don't know, maybe it is also, but that kind of, is playful maybe in the way and, and uncertain in the way that he seemed to be. Um, great. Um, so Martha, when you were when you came up with the idea to put Bruce Lee on a boat, was you mentioned that it coincided with it, you just sort of getting to Washington State to Olympia and trying to find your way and find your peace. Were you were you sort of was that something that was in your head and is that what drew you to Bruce Lee or did you make that connection? after you sort of landed on wanting to explore Bruce and why Bruce? Um, I think I, it just kind of made the connection after the fact. Um, I, Bruce Lee is like the epitome of cool, so of course I wanted to... <laughs> I mean, I too, I was thinking about like, all right, what are, you know, what are, what are, what is, what is Seattle known for? And I was thinking about how after he left Hong Kong, he had come there and that's where he opened his first studio and I don't know, it's just, he's buried there and I just... I was like, I'll get cool points. And, yeah, Bruce Lee's the coolest. Ten cool points. Yeah, but putting him on a boat, I don't. I just wanted to show the sound too. So. Mm -hmm. um, and you guys kind of touched on the genesis of your. Of, well, you didn't. Let's talk, Drew, about where Sasquatch. I, I was going to escape from. that. Yeah. No, where, where, um, why Sasquatch? Well, uh, Sasquatch is kind of a, uh, or Bigfoot is a bit of a mascot for, um, you know, Seattle sports teams. The Sonics had a Sasquatch uh, mascot for years. It's kind of a cultural thing around. There's a lot of sightings of Sasquatch. And so I thought it, it, 
I wanted, uh, I wanted someone to maybe give us a tour of different neighborhoods that kind of have different smells about them. And I thought, humans are a little boring. Let's go with, um, uh, every once in a while there's a bear that wakes, wakes up out of hibernation and stumbles around the city. And so I thought about that for a second. And then I thought, eh, no, let's do a Sasquatch. And the Sasquatches are always, um, are, uh, they're always, like male Sasquatch, but there has to be female Sasquatch out there. So that's how we went with uh, a lady Sasquatch. <laughs> Great. Um, okay, one last question before we open it up. Um, now each of these films, other than Drew's, were shot in one day, uh, and everyone also landed in Sundance with a day to prep as well. So, um, uh, sorry, in, Sun in Seattle, thank you, Ian. Um, some had a day to come up with a concept. Some people had a day to come up with a concept, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know who that person was. Um, but So what, during your day of prep and your day of shooting, when you actually were engaging with Seattle, um, which you had been thinking about from, you were in Massachusetts at the time, you were in New York, you were in Olympia, and you were in LA, what, what anything sh shift or, or, you know, what changed as you actually had to confront the real Seattle that might be different from the Seattle that you had been imagining at home? Ian? <laughs> You told us you were going to ask that question, but I, I didn't think of a good response. Um, I do think uh, one of the things that, uh, that proved challenging as we were trying to tromp around capturing trees around Seattle was, um, was, just, was how large the parks were. Um, our first shoot to get back to what is, I think, Seattle's largest tree, although that's controversial, um, as we learned. But... Um, to get back there was like a, you know, 40-minute schlep with all of our gear. And so uh, at that point, we had to kind of make this decision of, well, maybe just the whole film should be standing around by this enormous tree. <laughs> and uh, so racing from there to the mills and the other uh, workshops where people were working with wood um, did become kind of an interesting logistical challenge. But ultimately, I did, you know, I, I'm always fascinated with films, like how things are made films. So the idea of getting to peer behind the curtain and see how tables or lamps or uh, wood, you know, or trees being milled uh, seemed like a kind of a treat for us as well as hopefully for the viewers. So. The question again was, what challenges... So during, during your day of prep and your day of shooting when you actually, since you conceived most of this in New York and through Wikipedia apparently, um, what, uh, what, what, what changed for you while, you were, while we were running around prepping and the day of shooting? What, anything changed in the way in which you looked at the film? Um, I think that maybe the film or the city, um, you know, again, Rain and Nirvana was all I knew, so I think that it was really sunny that first day. And it kind of like put on its happy face for us. And I think that may have changed the tone of it in a little, you know, because I think that um, the story of Jimi Hendrix is sort of inherently tragic and, and um, has a, uh, a mutedness to it that maybe I expected to be, you know, paralleled by what the city felt like from a meteorological perspective. But that uh, wasn't there. And I think the weather and the children and um, Naima, the choreographer, like what she brought to it, just um, kind of pulled it more into that childlike space. It was a little bit more about possibilities. Mm -hmm. 
Martha. I underestimated how sick we would all get <laughs> on a boat out in the middle of Elliott Bay when there's lots of, like, you know, people coming and go, the, what do you call them? The, you know, the things that take you, ferries. Ferry? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, those. So we all, um, my Bruce got very sick. I got very sick. Um, those, like, bracelets you wear with, like, the magnets, those don't work. And, yeah, that would, that would be it. Thank you. I mean, I, what changed? I think I didn't, going into it, I had, I had ideas of what everything would look like based on pictures that I, on the internet of the farm and uh, the shop and stuff, but uh, it seems to be a phenomenon that things look really different in real life than they do on the internet. I mean, just like me, I don't look, you know, anyway, it's not about me, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so showing up at the farm, I was like, oh, this is uh, pretty small. This is a really, this is, it looks real different. Um, but it was, it, was, it was beautiful. It was such an incredible place. And I think like Ben, the cinematographer, and I had had a lot of conversations about what we wanted to do and then getting there and it was so different. And it, really embracing that rather than try to make, trying to make it what we th thought it was going to be um, really, I, I think, proved really, really, it, it gave us something even more beautiful than if everything had looked exactly like I had wanted it, or not wanted it to, expected it to. I think if it had been as big as it looked on the website, we wouldn't have been able to actually no. shoot it all no. either. It was massive on the website. Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess we can open it up to questions, um, and I'm hoping somebody may, each of the films has such distinctive music in it, and really vibrant music, so um, anyway, anybody, questions? I'd like to, oh, excuse me. I, I'd like to ask everyone, how much time did you need to make a film? Please answer everywhere. Every, everyone had one day to shoot. One day. One day. We did the, um, the skydiving in Terrence's film was done uh, after we all left. It was this rogue group of parachuters um, who did it. We were willing to dress up like Jimi Hendrix. But one day... Um, we had probably six or eight weeks of talking about it all, I guess, before we actually got to Seattle, but every filmmaker would come in, have a day to scout, to actually engage with Seattle and see what they were going to shoot, and then we shot for a day, and then we had a, a couple of months for post-production for each of them. Yeah. Uh, my, my question is for uh, Mr. Crispy. Oh, yeah, it's me. <laughs> Kid. Um, I was just curious about your background in animation because the sort of style of walk of the Lady Sasquatch kind of reminded me of the sort of early Disney kind of laughogram cartoons. So I was curious about how you did your research in sort, in sort of deciding how to do that character. Yeah, um, we, we kind of wanted it to be, yeah, very like whimsical like that, very much like uh, kind of early animation, uh, exaggerated legs, stuff like that kind of. Um, what a squash and stretch, whatever that's called. Um, yeah, so I think we, everything that I do kind of ends up l having a similar look, but I, I want it to kind of each one to have its own distinctive uh, feel to it that should kind of feel like it fits the story perfectly. So I think I also went with that all green, shades of green color palette, because to me, you know, Seattle and the area is all very green. Um, but yeah, I think I just wanted her to be kind of 
distinctive and memorable and not being, not necessarily overly cartoony, but kind of, you know, make use of the fact that it's not a, a real person. You can make him do whatever you want. Um, so thank you. I live in Seattle and they're beautiful. So thank you so much. Um, so I'm wondering in the Jimi Hendrix film who the kids are and who the, the dancers were, if they're, you know, who, how you found them. And then I'm also wondering what ice cream shop that was because I'm so <laughs> excited about that. So thanks. Uh, the kids were all local kids. They were they were cast locally. All really amazing. I think we put that we wanted kids who were comfortable enough in their bodies to dance, and they kind of represented a range of levels of training. Um, but they were all they were really open, and they kind of took to each other very quickly, which was I think brought a lot to the energy of it. And um, the dancer Naima Ramos Chapman is back there. She choreographed it, and she was the most. Um, She was the most Jimmy-esque um, <laughs> dancer. And uh, the other two dancers were, were also local, um, but kind of like other uh, three dancers, sorry, were all local. And they kind of represented different styles, different trainings. It was, it was really cool. I think that um, it was interesting how all the different varieties of like how they move kind of came together in a very unexpected way. Um, it's what is it? Kurt Farm Shop is that what it's called in Kurt Capitol Wood, Hill? Or, Kurt Farm Shop or Kurtwood Farm Shop? No, Kurtwood Farms is the farm, and then right. Kurt Farm Shop is the ice cream shop in Capitol Hill. And like, there's like a it's down like a little alley. Yeah, down an alley. You know Do you know there are like rest, other restaurants and stuff in there? Yeah. I also just want to say that um, our composer is here, Katie. She did such an incredible job. Well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, you all made me want to join you uh, and do the activities that you were doing in the, in the different shirts, like the cow, the ice cream, the, the everything, and dance with the kids. So congratulations. Uh, my, my question is for everybody. Um, how did you guys get attached to this project? How was the selection? How were you recast for this? And, and just that, thank you. Um, so it, the casting of the filmmakers, the, the mandate was to have five very unique, distinctive films, um, five different filmmakers really coming at it from very different places. So we wanted to make sure that we curated or cast a group of filmmakers that were going to really examine and explore Seattle through different, in a different, different ways. Um, so these guys all are, came out of conversations that I had with Sundance and Visit Seattle people. Um, and it was great fun for me because I just got to make a list of filmmakers whose work I really loved and who I was interested in working with. And um, and even the I got called up <laughs> from know, the minor leagues. And then, and then Martha showed up somehow. I don't know how that. But no, okay. no you were obviously so. <laughs> so but it was it was. Um, but really, to make sure that it was a group of filmmakers that we all you know loved and loved their previous work. Um, you know, all of these guys have made really fantastic films. And, you know, as you can see from the five, five films, none of them are alike. And that was a real driving force in the curation of the filmmakers. Um, 
But it was really great because, um, you know, the response, you know, these were among the initial people I reached out to and everyone was really excited to do it. So, um, but it really was sort of just looking at filmmakers whose work we liked in the last year or two and thought would make a, you know, eclectic group. Words, because each of you had a different um, different sense, but um, in the Bruce Lee one, the only words were the Sasqua or the um, the Sacagawea. Like, are you there, really? Oh, yeah. um, and then obviously the sound one had some words to it and the um, animation, but the wood one, the touch didn't really at all. So just curious about how you felt including words and not including. Well, I can say that um, I come from, I'm a narrative filmmaker, and so when we were talking about it, you said it would be easier if there wasn't dialogue. <laughs> because it would be easier to just not cast actors and not have to have a script and stuff like that. So, so yeah, that's why. I mean, I didn't, I, I wanted it to be about Seattle and the city, and I really wanted it to be about place and not about people, and so... Um, that's why I chose to not have any, I didn't want it to be like about like any one person's journey because I wanted it to be like you guys going on the journey. And then I wanted to find an incredible uh, composer to make music and be very patient with me while I don't know how to communicate in the musical language at all and say things like, I want it to sound like a door opening, things like that, and then she does. Uh, yeah, for, we, we tried a few different things. We, we spent some time with an arborist in Seattle, and um, he chatted with us for a while. We also had him record. You know, he's a, he has a kind of encyclopedic uh, list of all of the trees, both native and non-native, that are planted throughout Seattle. So we had one harebrained idea where he was just going to say the names of the trees, and it would just be threaded throughout the entire piece um, but for a variety of reasons it didn't quite have the it didn't have the exact right vibe for it um, and actually as we were filming that day initially I think the film I envisioned was a little bit more frenetic um, and kind of quicker cuts moving back and forth between forest and city but as we spent more and more time in the mills and in the forest it, it took on the kind of more meditative feel that we ended up with with the, the score that um, was created by uh, Sarah Lipstate who who is not here, but did a wonderful job. Um, words. <laughs> the, um, mine was kind of really impulsive. You know, I, I think that the, uh, the kind of text that it came from was just uh, something that was culled from a lot of research that Tim, Tim's team did. Um, and I kind of was pulling from little things I knew and things I made up completely. Um, and I, I think it was, you know, kind of chasing that a little bit, um, ch the visuals chasing that text a bit. Um, and for mine, uh, I, I started with the, the narration script, and uh, I wanted it to sound like a David Attenborough narration type thing. Uh, so that's pretty much all I watch now anyway, so it wasn't hard. There wasn't any research involved. Um, but I did have to look for a lot of uh, synonyms for the word smell. 
I was on thesaurus.com a lot. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Hey, um, so for you guys who aren't from Seattle or don't have any connection to the city, what attracted you to the project? Um, I, I have been to Seattle several times and really loved it, but ha was only ever there for like a day, two days, and um, I, you know, it was an opportunity to get to, you know, get to, to be there, to get into it a little bit more and from a different angle, and I have a fantasy that one day I'll move to Seattle and start a new life and maybe live on that farm if that guy will let me. Although it's not big enough for me to live there without him knowing, but I'll figure that out later, I guess. But I've always, I've always really loved it and think it's such a beautiful, romantic city. Uh, I mean, I think not knowing anything about it the you know the curiosity that that created kind of pulled me towards it you know and just also um, you know you kind of rarely get emails like that <laughs> like hey just you want to do something you know and it'll be fun and there's no pressure you know just I think most emails to get like we need to do this ask me this by tomorrow and ask me for two dollars you know and I think that you know it's really refreshing to get kind of the opposite energy you know um, and yeah I think that also just the the uh, lore of Jimi Hendrix as a um, as a artist and just trying to be in that space for a bit was kind of attractive too. Yeah, I I, I like visiting Seattle and um, uh, and so I I mean for very selfish reasons I I, I thought it'd be uh, quite pleasant to spend a day in the forests and sawmills of Seattle. Um, those are places I like to hang out um, and you know that's. Not to uh, a great degree how I decide where to make films uh, usually, but um, but usually there's some kind of kernel of curiosity about a place and also some kind of aesthetic attraction to a to a space. So uh, all those things were were there for me, and Tim didn't seem like a crazy person, so uh, it's great. Yeah, you guys are very talented. That was awesome. The project is so cool. Um, where can we see more of your work? Because you're all so great. Um, I made a movie that was here last year called The Intervention that now you can see on um, iTunes and I think maybe on uh, like Amazon. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, that. I made a movie that was here a couple of years ago called Land Ho and... Um, I think you can rent it on iTunes, and I think it plays on Stars sometimes. <laughs> That's all I know. Um, nah. Uh uh. No. You should, if you can find Martha's earlier film, well worth it. Okay. Um, I I have an animated series right now that um, that you can see on Spotify mobile app. It's called Drawn and Recorded. It's in the videos section, um, and one of those is playing in the here right now at Sundance at the, in the short uh, animated spotlight, which is actually having a screening right now, so I don't think you can see that. Um, but there's another, another screening of it, but you can go on the mobile app, Spotify. Um, I have a uh, screen-based performance here on tomorrow at 2 p.m. at the tent, Sun I think it's called Base Camp. Um, 
and it is called 18 Black Boys Who Have Arrived at the, I'm sorry, let me start over. 18 Black Boys, ages one to 18, who have arrived at the singularity and are thus spiritual machines, $7 in an addition of $97 quadrillion. And um, it'll be, it'll be uh, Wednesday and Friday, same time. At the, uh, on Wednesday, it's black boys, and on Friday, it's black girls, so they'll be completely different. Um, so come to both. And my, I have a website, TerrenceDance.com. Uh, my most recent um, kind of feature-length project is, was called The Search for General So. Um, it's a film about Chinese food in America, and it's on Netflix and other... Um, digital outlets, um, and then other projects like um, King Corn and The City Dark are on, uh, I think are not on Netflix right now, but are on places like iTunes and Amazon, um, and we're on PBS, so. Um, so yeah. And uh, I, I also have a website, which is my name, ianchaney.com. Uh, for for Terrence, uh, were you already a fan of Jimmy? And if so, did seeing Seattle and his hometown and like understanding more about him change the ways that you like enjoy his music? Or? I was a fan of certain songs. I grew up with certain songs that maybe were just based on what my parents played a lot, specifically Wind Cries Mary and Castles Made of Sand and I think that uh, in Red House. I think that there's maybe, a, he played in a lot of different spaces and the kind of blues space and then the like sad-eyed, slow jam space were kind of like what I was really familiar with. And I think being there kind of made me understand the sad-eyed <laughs> space. And I, was, I, I think somehow I wondered, it, it, I wondered why it was a surprise to me that he was from there because I think when people think rock and roll in Seattle, they think Kurt Cobain. And I don't know why they don't think Jimmy, but maybe he's like transcended place or something like that. And I kind of wonder why, so being there was maybe interesting to see that he was grounded somewhere, but then also not. Like, I think the film maybe is also supposing that maybe he's not from anything or anywhere. Like, some people are, some people have more ideas than they are people, you know, and they're just from, from the ether. I think we have time for one more, if there is one more. Or not. Okay, thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you.